following podcast is brought to you on behalf of the Saracen Supporters Association and is not an official product of Saracens Limited. Views expressed on the Fezcast are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Saracens Limited, the Saracen Supporters Association, Saracens Mavericks or any other entity. The Fezcast is designed to be inclusive for the whole Saracens family, however occasional adult content may evade the censoring robots, so discretion is advised. Content provided voluntarily by our guests and contributors are of their own opinion, which may change over time and should not be taken as fact, particularly as the podcast hosts are regularly talking drivel anyway. If you've got some drivel of your own you'd like to share, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at fezcast underscore SSA. You can search Facebook for the Fezcast or you can email fezcast.ssa at outlook.com. With Matt Barlett and Jez Denson in association with the Saracen Supporters Association. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the season finale of the Festcast with me, Jez Denson, and Matt Barlett. And I'm afraid to say, well, no, I don't. We have got some interviews through this, but it's me and Matt basically summing up the season across all three areas, netball, women and men's teams. And we're going to pick, well, I think the women's team picks itself, doesn't it, Matt? And the, uh, uh, But we're going to pick a, a men's team as well of the year and give out some awards, try of the season and breakthrough player, individual performance. Um, and obviously, we'll just confirm Ben Earl as player of the year because we kind of spoiled that last week when we interviewed Ben. <laughs> that was a great little interview with Ben, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, obviously the um, the not the right result, but yeah, it yeah, was I mean, two shows ago, wasn't it? But I mean, there we go. Yeah, I mean, we can't really change our mind on Ben as, as player of the year. I mean, I, I, he didn't have a fantastic final, but then not many people did, and no one uh, would have overtaken that. So yeah, he's had a good season. Let's not forget. And, you know, when we look at our teams of the year as well, both for the women and for the men, we've got to look back at the whole season. And, and you know, September to December, that sort of period seems a long, long time ago. But there's a lot of people who stuck their hand up and uh, and put some good performances in. So before everyone starts shouting at us that we've selected our teams wrong, remember, it's not just about the last few weeks of the season. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And indeed, I think in uh, when we come to the men's team, the first two positions we talk about that will be... Uh, Highly debatable there. But um, before we get on to Saracens, and what we're going to do, Matt, you've done an interview about the netball, which we're going to play in, and then we'll do women's team and then we'll do the men's team. But before that, we do need to have a discussion, primarily in reaction to the England squad announcement from Eddie Jones about the lads that he's taking to, to Australia with him. And we might as well start it by saying Ben Earl is not in the squad. We made him player of the year. He's premiership player of the year. I think he's probably player of the year for just about everybody. It's a fair old chance he'd probably still be Bristol's player of the year. But, um, you know, what does he have to do to get into the... And and the first things first, I'm going to say, Eddie's come out this week and said he doesn't think Ben Earl's big enough to play international rugby, which is a joke because he'll pick Tom Curry, he's a similar size, and he'll pick um, Sam Underhill, who quite frankly has been useless in a poor Bath team this year. That that just doesn't wash. That's just Eddie making up any old crap just to get in, you know, just to 
just to wind me up, I think, more than anything else. I'm going to be really, really immodest here. And I say, he, he's listened to the podcast. He enjoys winding me up. I, that's the only thing I can think of it. That's it. I mean, he's doing us a service, isn't he? He's doing us a favour. He's creating content for us. So, yeah, thanks very much, Eddie. But I, I don't get it. I, in fact, I think this is less understandable than when we were constantly saying Alex Good needs an England call-up. Um, yeah. I think, you know, both of them been player of the year for either Premiership or in Europe and things. And then he's got a habit of not picking the player that's voted best player of the season. You know, you know, with the likes of Sam Simmons and things, all right. Sam Simmons himself has actually shown that he potentially isn't England standard for me, but it's it's a habit that Eddie's got. And no, I don't know what Ben Earl has to do. Um, Underhill is probably the player that you think he he would be in the squad for, and it is a it's a, still a big call to drop Sam Underhill. He has shown for England he is still a very very good player, but he isn't playing fantastically in that Bath team. Um, and, and you know what, the six Saracens players that Eddie has picked. You know, none of them are shocks. We're dead, dead chuffed with all six of them. But I think, to be honest, if, if Eddie had picked Ben Earl and not Nick Ezekwe, I don't think we'd be having this conversation about about Nick. You know, we'd be no. unlucky, but there's plenty of other players in the squad. Although Charlie Yules is there, so, you know. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it does, it, you know, I mean, it, it always makes me, makes me laugh. I mean, it's a... I've made a correlation with football. It's like, you know, you look at certain players that if they play at a small club, they, you know, I'm a West Ham supporter. So, you know, Jared Bowen has had to spend yonks and yonks and yonks of playing brilliantly. Now, if he was playing for Liverpool or Manchester City, he'd be in that squad straight away for England. It's almost the reverse with Eddie that he will purposely go out and pick players who are playing at small, not small clubs, but underperforming clubs who are underperforming for those clubs. And pick them and put them in, or he'll he'll continue to pick Manu Tuilagi, despite the fact that Blokes only got an eighth of a leg, you know, and can't stay fit. And you just wonder what goes through his psyche, what's going through his mind. I can only assume it's because Clive Wood was gone out and said that Ben Earl should go or something like that, you know. Or Lawrence Delalio has mentioned us. I mean, it will just go totally against them. But yeah, look, we got that one off our chest. That's a little rant we've got there. Um, Congrats indeed to all of those who are going. And obviously the two standout calls for, for Eddie are, are the Vunapolas being back in, in the fold. Less so Mako. You know Mako, you know, between him, Ellis Genge and Joe Marler, you know, there's two, there's three of them playing for two places there almost. And, you know, Joe Marler, he's been making noises about not wanting the tour, whatever. So you take a take a lad who's determined, you know, who wants to go on tour. Billy, I think, has probably got in purely because Alex Dombrant and Sam Simmons are injured. And, you know, and I could easily see Eddie taking Billy as a water carrier still and picking Tom Curry at eight, which would be ridiculous. But, you know, we'll wait to see what happens in that first test in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, yeah, definitely have to wait and see. I mean, you'd hope that what's, what should have happened has happened, where both of them have, have played their way back into England reckoning, which is which is absolutely fair enough. Um, and like we said, no, Billy was one of the one of the decent performers from the final, um, and he showed across the season he's been very consistent, and he is back to the Billy Vunapola that we know. So that's fine. And Mako, you know what you're getting, Mako. Um, I think he is. He's, he's definitely in a battle for that position. Um, I think there are lots of players coming through um, as a prop, and that's fair enough. But but Mako, you do know what you're getting with him, and he has had a good season. 
So, yeah, definitely fair play to him. Jamie George, he's always good. He should be going. I mean, I'm just mad that he was dropped in the first place previously, played his way back in. I'm excited about potentially a Smith Farrell 10 12. Hopefully. Yeah. Nick might be struggling for game time, but you never know. It's it's a good look. And, you know, we do have to speak about some of the other people that didn't get called up, I guess. Um, maybe more sort of outside shots. Max Malins, I do understand him not going. A lot of people wouldn't, but I, I don't know that he's really pulled up trees in an England shirt, although he has had about 10 seconds of ball um, in order to show what you can do. So it's a little bit unfair on him, but... You know, I, I I do see it. Yes, we can point to the fact that he's the top try, try scorer this season, but yeah, he finished off a lot of tries. I'll put it put it that way. Um, and then you've got Elliot Daly, who yeah, he's just performing okay at the moment. So I don't think it's a surprise that he wasn't called up. Well, Elliot Daly's the interesting one, isn't it? In so much as that, you know, is his England career over? Is that something that he's he's uh, not going to be in Eddie's plans. I mean, he is a senior player now, and if you're not going on this tour with the World Cup looming, does that send you a message that perhaps he's not going to be there or thereabouts? So Eddie's definitely got ideas in place, which does then put the question, Elliot Daly is a player who's out of contracts this year, is he not? You know, there's a potential there that uh, why not go and... Uh, cashing a few dollars somewhere maybe you don't know that's something that might be in the offing I expect we'll find that out during the close seasons it comes in yeah I mean next summer is um we sort of discussed it quickly before we uh, start recording next summer you know the majority of our squad over the next year needs to sign a new contract um and now with the salary cap dropping um there's a lot of players that need to renegotiate and you do get credit for players playing for England. And if if the likes of Elliot Daly are on the outside of, of, of England shots, then their value to us drops a bit. So he can't command the wage that he probably wants, mm. essentially. So, yeah, he could be one that that we, we'd be sad to lose. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. It's a year off. Yeah. We enjoy the end of this season. <laughs> Absolutely. And we do need to speak about the other international call-ups as well. Um Andy Christie's off with Scotland to Argentina. Yep. Um, brilliant for him. A, a just reward for an absolutely fabulous season. And it'll be an interesting conversation when we pick the season, team of the season um, in that back row, which is going to be quite uh, quite a, uh, a, a competitive um, position. KP and Ruben off with the States. Theo, Magic Theo, is off with Samoa, obviously, and Nick Tompkins, and perhaps a surprise inclusion in the uh, in the in the summer squads is Sam Wainwright going with Wales. Yeah, um, Wales have clearly got some injury problems, um, but you know Sam Wainwright. When when we signed him a, a two or three years ago, now there there were a lot of teams that wanted to have a look at him, um, and I think he was always coming to London. I think that it was Harlequins and London Irish that were the other teams that were sort of rumoured with it. And he hasn't really had a lot of game time for us. He's had a bit of cup time. Um, by all accounts, um, his loan spell at Antill this year, he's really impressed for them. Um, and he has been trusted with a spot on the bench quite a lot. Yes. Quite often he doesn't come on either, but he has been trusted with a position in that 23. And he's, I think he's 24, 25 years old. So his development is mostly done, but obviously a prop 
props do tend to uh, tend to bloom a bit later, don't they? So uh, he's, he's clearly someone that's got some talent, and, the, and that we're being quite patient with nurturing. And given the injury issues that we've we've had at three over the course of this year, he could see a lot of game time next year. So it'd be interesting to see if he if he gets on the pitch for Wales and what he does. Absolutely. Well, before we move on into the main bones, though, there's another thing we need to get off our off our chest, shall we say, following the final, and that's the uh, sighting of Ali Davis for his tackle. Now, I do want to discuss this because there's a there's a point I need to make about this one, and it's something I've been making on social media. Maybe did that mistake, Matt. I know you keep telling me I shouldn't do it, but I have a couple of drinks, and you just think, yeah, I'll, yeah, I could get onto this one, but. Ali Davis has been cited for his tackle. Now, fair dues. At the time, I went, well, the game's gone soft, as you do. That was never a, you know, what's he meant to do? I thought Wayne Barnes got the judgment call right on the pitch. After the game, I looked at it and I thought, well, do you know what? Yeah, okay. He may, uh, Ali may well have been lucky. That's fair enough. If it warrants a red, it warrants being cited. However, my issue is that in that game, Matt Scott took Billy Villapola's head off. Um, I got a yellow card, but nobody's mentioning it. And I and I feel Ali Davis has been done by public here and 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 citing commissioners have about to public opinion slightly. And uh, because everybody's kicked off about him, but nobody's mentioned Matt Scott, who basically, when you look at the two tackles, yes, they were both bad, but Billy Billy Fonapola had to leave the pitch. Ron, um Montoya played on, you know, so why aren't they going out and Saying well, and that's all I'm asking for. In the same way, you know, Wayne Barnes was consistent in his in his judgment on both of those occasions, and that's all you can ask for. You want the sighting commissioners to be to be consistent and look at both of them and say, yeah, they were equally as bad. They both should be looked at. They could still come to a different decision on both of them at sighting, but they if one sighted, the other should be sighted. But also the the greater wider keyboard warriors, as we call them, you know. They concentrated on Ali Davis purely because it's a Saracens bias. And I, I get fed up with pointing out that every team will have players who don't tackle brilliantly. Every team will have the same over a season, the same amount of issues with high tackles being put in. You've seen it in all games. Harlequins had a player yellow card in there. So whatever, you know, it's not something that is specific to Saracens. <laughs> and that's and that seems to be what a lot of people are saying at the moment. I I may be, I don't know, I may be being a, a little bit precious over this. What do you think, Matt? Are you gonna are you gonna play are you gonna play the peacemaker on this one and and the, the sensible majority, shall we say? I don't really know, actually. I don't know, I don't know where I stand on it. what I would say um is that I what I've seen a lot of traffic from people on the other side saying it shouldn't be cited because the referee made the decision on the pitch, gave it a yellow card. Referee's decision should be what's backed. But that's not the case. The citing commissioners are allowed to correct a mistake from a referee. And I will be 100% honest, I think Wayne Barnes made a mistake and Ali Davis should have been sent off. Period. Um, the, The Matt Scott one, I actually didn't see it live at the time. Um, so it's really tricky for me to have much of an opinion from what I thought at the time. I don't think there's a huge amount of difference between the two tackles, but I've, I've just got to focus on the on the Davis one. I think I think it was a proper bottle job from the ref and the TMO, which is horrible to say. I, I, I don't want to have to say that in the final, but I just imagine if it was the other way around and it was 
Richard Wigglesworth sticking a tackle in on Jamie George and got a yellow card and we'd lost, we would be on this podcast and we would be absolutely livid with that that tackle and that situation, I think. So I think, yeah, bad decision. Uh, um, And I'm not surprised at all that it's been cited. As for the whole, yeah, Saracen's dirty tacklers, et cetera, et cetera, that can, yeah, shut up. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) There, there has to be a reason to uh, to have a have a pop at Saracens, and if we'd have won, it, it would have been worse, to be honest. So no. it, it's going to keep happening. At the end of the day, we've just got to carry on with, with what we do. Like you say, there's been as many cards handed out to different teams. There's been as many dodgy tackles that haven't been given for for us for other top teams. It, it, it's really something or nothing. Um, and I think a lot of what happens is, to be honest. We've been on BT quite a lot this season. Yes. So any any incident that we have is front and centre on the telly and everyone's seeing. And the the incidents that aren't on BT that week, of which there are many all the time, don't get the publicity for it. So I think a lot of it does have something to do with the fact that there is a bit of a slant on BT towards showing Saracens all the time because it's what people end up watching because there's a story in it. I think that's it, to be honest. Yeah, well, well, I think we've done that one to death. Got that off of our chest, as it were. (laughs) And, uh, you know, next season's another season, which I think we may well be starting with Ivan Van Zyl and Rim Das. (laughs) Starting the season for us, quite possibly, for a little little period of time. But there we go. Look, I'm going to hand over to you, Matt. You've got an interview um, reviewing um, the the, the netball season, the Saracens-Mavericks. So we're going to play that in now after a word from one of our, our um, advert, advert sponsors. I can't, why can't I say advert, advertisers? Uh, but one of our sponsors. Um, and then we'll be back after that to discuss the women's team and player of the season. This is the Fezcast. Hi. I'm Alex Lewington and I'm a Looseheads ambassador. I'm Sydney Gregson and I'm a Looseheads ambassador. Our aim is to tackle the stigma of mental health in rugby and society in general. The Looseheads mission is to place a mental health lead at every rugby club. Get in touch now to find out more. You can find us at Looseheads on all social media channels or at looseheads.co.uk. Take care and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Enjoy the rest of the pod. You're listening to the Fezcast. And so, yeah, welcome to the next part of our Fezcast awards show. Um, and we come on to the Saracens Mavericks. Um, and by our own admission, Jez and I are 100% useless. Um, for this. <laughs> Um, between us, we've probably watched two or three uh, matches this season, so we're not qualified to uh, to hand out awards. So delighted to say we've got Lucy G, Lucy P from the Quarter Time Podcast, fantastic netball podcast covering the whole of uh, VNSL and netball around the world. So Lucy's, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thanks, thanks for, having, for us. having us. No problem at all. So you will be our experts for uh, for the awards for this season. So no pressure at all. <laughs> um, but first. Obviously, we do need to discuss the Mavericks season as a whole. Um, it has been an interesting one. I've read about most of it rather than watched most of it, but I was at the uh, 
London Pulse match at the start of the season, which mm. definitely piqued my interest in, in netball. A very exciting match. Um, very pleased to be there. But it did seem like that was um, the peak of the season, um, or certainly the first three quarters of that match were the peak of the season. It did uh, turn into a bit of chaos for the last of it. But um, just before we get on to the, uh, the changes in management that will be going on for next year, what are your, your thoughts on, um, on the season as a whole for the Mavericks? Well, I think it's been a bit of a series of unfortunate injuries, to be honest with you. I mean, we had uh, Jamila McCarthy was out quite early on. Temelisi Fakahakatel came over and then was injured. Razia Koshi was injured. You know, we had Kadeen ending up in goalkeeper by the end of the season. And also Inna Marie Venter out for a number of weeks and Gabby Marshall coming back from injury at the start of the season as well. So that's a really big part of your core starting seven who've been in and out and lots of positional changes. So I think it kind of makes sense that they had a bit of a turbulent season when you take into account all that that was going on behind the scenes. I guess disappointing to finish in fifth, given they were in the top four for quite a large part of the season. But I I think when you consider those injuries that happened along the way, it, you know, it was really to be expected. I don't think they had a bad season by any stretch of the imagination. They actually still won nine games, but they did lose more and it was a really tight competition this year. So yeah, unfortunate to be missing out on top four again, but still some really strong performances. And they only lost to Thunder by three, I think back in one of the early rounds and then Thunder went on to win the championship. So they had a a strong season, but it was not as consistent as I think they would have liked. Yeah, and I think the this lack of consist, consistency is the same problem that we have with Mavs year on year for the last sort of four or five years in particular. That's been the the key takeaway from their season at the end each time. So, you know, what needs to change in order for them to be able to find that consistency and to live up to the potential that we know they have? Because you look at that squad they had this year, it's like star name, star name, star name. So what is it that's preventing them from being able to reach their full potential? Well, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, oh, you're right. I mean, looking at the um, the squads that have been selected for each game, um, it's been lucky to be the same set starting seven twice in a row, really. As you say, there's been a lot of injuries by the look of it and to a lot of, a lot of big star players so it is understandable that it's been hard to find that consistency stringing two or three wins together but it does seem like that top four has um, for the last three four five seasons just been that tantalizingly close but ultimately uh struggling to get there so yeah it's just uh, that elusive top four spot isn't it but you know there are a lot of positive things to take out of Mavs season like Lucy said I don't think it was necessarily a poor season I, I think it was a bit of an average one for them um but some of the young players that they had come through really really shone this season and I you know I imagine we'll touch on that a bit later with some specific names like Befakuya Dale uh, Aliyah Zaranika they, they were absolutely exceptional this year and I think you know also Kadeen Corbin having to show just how versatile she is and what an elite player she is reverting back to her very early days so I think she started as a defender having to do that in the elite national competition when you've played however many years as as an attacker, you know, that's that's a really uh, key achievement to be able to show. 
Yeah, I think it's undeniable that moving Kadeen back into goalkeeper, you know, was it was almost like a last resort, really. They had gone through, you know, the starting goalkeeper and the next one and the next one. But I think the effect was that she did a fantastic job back there, but they really missed her influence in attack. So that meant that then the attacking line wasn't as smooth and as slick. And against some of the defences that we've got in our league, you know, you just can't have that. You have to be really on it and really well drilled. And I think they're just exposed a few holes in that attacking end and then plus in a Marie Venter out as well you know for those weeks that she is a complete rock at the front there for Mavericks so that was really disappointing as well. Yeah and I think you know Chloe Essam had the opportunity I suppose to own that goal attack bib when Kadeem moved back to goalkeeper but because Inna Marie Venter was also out and then you had um, Britt Clark in goal shooter that was a very inexperienced attacking end and I don't think that Chloe Essam in particular has had her strongest season at all. She had a, a really good strong season last year um, but she just wasn't able to repeat that performance this year when they really needed it the most. So yeah, it's just a series of very unfortunate events and very unfortunate injuries for them. Yeah, so there's a lot of factors there that have obviously led to missing out on the top four again. But unfortunately, sort of the ultimate price of that is um, is Kat Ratnapala now uh, now leaving after five years. I think is uh, is in charge there, and um, you know, Kat's someone that I think actually is our still our most frequent guest on our show. She seems always seems to be very keen to, uh, to come on and talk to us and thankfully did because obviously she was able to give us the first-hand expert's opinion of exactly what was going on. Um, and her passion for uh, for netball and her just drive for that team was absolutely fantastic to see. So we are we are pretty gutted really that she's uh, that she's been let go. It doesn't actually sound like a, an entirely mutual decision, unfortunately. But um that is the change that's been made. I mean, what do you see next for for Kat? I mean, surely there's um, there's people crying out for, uh, for her to join a team somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I actually wondered. I said to Lisa a little while ago, I did wonder if she'd move to Stars. And you know, they've just closed the recruitment for their head coach. I believe they haven't announced who their new coach is. But like Tracy Neville said on Twitter a few weeks ago, it would be absolutely devastating to lose that amount of experience and netball knowledge from our game. So I really do hope that she can be retained somewhere, if not the Stars head coach, then maybe an assistant coach at a franchise. But I actually think that, not that she's been unlucky because it has been a string of that fifth place position, but I think she's a little bit unlucky this year because of all the injuries. And if she hadn't have had those kind of underperformances for the last three, four, five seasons, then I think she actually would have been given another um, another crack at it for next year. But because this year has followed, you know, however many years of, of fifth place, it was a little bit inevitable for me, at least, that uh, a significant change would have, have to be made. Um, and unfortunately for Kat, that, that means that she's uh, been forced to move on. So, yeah, hopefully we'll see her on a court somewhere, at least. Yeah, I really agree with that. I think it would be such a shame to lose her expertise. But I think you've got to think as well about the other teams that have been competing. So London Pulse had a whole bunch of new players and really just set the league on fire this year. Manchester Thunder full of England Roses, Team Bath full of England Roses, Loughborough Lightning full of England Roses. So it's really been such a close competition this year. So I do think it was unlucky for Mavs to miss out in the end because like we say, they did have some really good performance 
performances and it almost feels as though Kat's taken the brunt for that and I actually think somebody said this that the responsibility lies with all of them I think it might have been Tamsin actually when we spoke to her a couple of weeks ago she said that you can't just so you can't just have a sort of scapegoat in that way because the, it's a responsibility that that falls to everyone in the team, the management, the players, everyone behind the scenes as well to ensure that the team is as successful as it can be on paper. And I suppose that's why really that Tamsin's been brought in, having mentioned her name as the head of strategic performance. I'm really, really intrigued to see what she can do with that behind the scenes kind of area and how that translates on court. But you're absolutely right. I do think it's a collective responsibility. And I think particularly in previous years, I think some of the players in particular haven't really stepped up to the plate and taken ownership Mm -hmm. of, of their role. So I'm also intrigued to see whether Camilla now as head coach continues to back the squad that she's got and and have a go with her in the head coach role or if she's going to start fresh and just you know completely bring in a whole new team it's just so exciting yeah, I mean this is where I can bring in the rugby side of things because it's uh, we are in a unique position obviously well relatively unique position in our uh, Saracens rugby club and now Saracens Mavericks netball are a bit more um, joined up as an organisation as they were. I mean, speaking to, to Kat over the past um, past year or so, Mavs has still been a little bit of a satellite project rather than uh, being integrated into the directorship. But now with the appointment of, of Tamsin at the top, it does seem that she'll be working quite closely with um, the performance directors across the whole Saracens organisation. So it'll be interesting to see whether some of the strategies that the rugby team have taken over the last, I'm going to say, 10 years or so, because it's been a long project, um, will filter into the netball team because for a long, long time we were going through a head coach every year. We were changing the squad around every year and it never worked. And eventually someone was given a bit of time. Um, the squad was given a bit of time to develop. A lot of players were brought in, but rather than big name superstars, it was um, very carefully selected players from around the world, but maybe not your sort of global superstars. Um They were given some time in the squad and then off the back of that, younger players were coming through the academy and eventually they became the core of the team. So that worked for uh, Mm. for a rugby team for a while. Whether that then translates into uh, into netball, we'll see. But it was interesting to hear Tamsin sort of hinting a little bit that very similar sort of um, attitude towards the squad in that, yes, there are a lot of star players. And as you said, Lucy, they're they haven't necessarily gelled together as a as one unit as a team, so it might need um, might need looking at. But that said, there's already signs that the other element of uh, of what the rugby club does is in place. In that Camilla Buchanan is being trusted with the head coach role. There's promotion from within. Um, we don't know what a backroom staff is going to be yet, but hopefully there are some people still within the Maverick setup that will be involved in that. It'll be very interesting to see. Um, And we have a habit on this podcast of predicting something and releasing our podcast about two days after it's been completely made null and void. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll have to see on that one. But I don't know. So so for next season, what are you uh, what are you expecting to see from uh, from Mavericks yourselves just from from how it's worked with other netball teams over the years? Oh, like okay. I mean, for me personally, I'm. It, it all kind of hinges on who Camilla goes for for her squad. Like, like you say, there's um, there's that philosophy of bringing in a team of 
maybe people who haven't had that much court time or aren't the sort of big superstar names. And I think we've seen that with Celtic Dragons this year. Danny Titmus Morris recruited really, really well and had the likes of Annabelle Roddy, who was fighting for court time at, um, at Lightning, I think it was previously. And they've, although they did finish near the bottom of the table, they've arguably improved significantly from last year. So will it be a case of Camilla doing a similar type of thing and bringing in lesser known players or people who've been really fighting to get on court and and have a few years building. On the other hand, I think the influence of Tamsin can't be underestimated. She is a proven winner. And like she said on the podcast with us um, a couple of weeks ago, when she was brought into Wasps, she was tasked with bringing in a winning team. And that is exactly what she did. And although she won't be in charge, I'm assuming she won't be in charge of recruitment, that'll be Camilla's bag. Her influence, I think, will be pretty significant. So it's kind of hard to say without a bit more info and seeing at least a couple of names that have been signed, but we've got such a long signing period as well that um, we've got a long time to wait. I don't know, Lise, what do you think? Yeah, we're all sort of on tenterhooks, I think, to see who they will sign. And I think as soon as we start to get a few of those names in, we'll start to see what direction they're going in. But mm-hmm. I do think with so many head coaches in the league moving uh, this se- this season, that there will be a lot of shakeups in terms of player movements. We already know a few people are heading down under to play there from Manchester Thunder. So there's gaps opening up there in a championship side. You know, is that going to tempt some people who want to be playing in a winning combination, especially leading into the Netball World Cup next year. You've got to think about who's looking for their roses prospects here and who wants to follow this coach there. So it's it's really too early to say how it will go for Mavericks, but I think that they need to be in the top four to keep any sort of uh, club kind of pride or morale going. They need to have a really successful season next year or they need to go back to basics and have a building season, but everyone knows where they are in that kind of cycle. Uh, I think it's it's kind of three year cycles. We sort of three or four years we go in netball. So are they going to keep building on this group or are they going to go back to the drawing board will be the main question. I hope there's a big shake up. I, I do Me actually too. think I, I really think it would be good for Mavs to just completely start fresh and, uh, and craft an entirely new team. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Maybe I'll come back to you in six months on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I do, do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, this is a difficult question, really, and I'm not going to make you answer it. But do you think there's anyone in the uh, in the Maverick squad at the moment that maybe has had their time and will be moving on? Or... Oh gosh, that's it's a tough question. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard one because I think that netball players are playing for longer now. It used to be you sort of got to 30 and that was kind of it. But we see, you know, so many of the names who've been picked for England are 32, 35, 37 even. So I don't think it's a case of retirements. I think it's just a case of what players might want at that particular stage in their career, whether they want to do a Lindsay Keeble and go and play with a bunch of youngsters at London Pulse and really get that new lease of life like that she has had this past couple of seasons, or whether they want to be that sort of steadying influence and senior influence in a team of youngsters somewhere else, or whether they're comfortable, I guess, in the different styles and the different people around them. Because also don't forget that netball is so much about connection. So many people in such a small space, you have to have those connections. So I don't see that there's anyone who's going to want to be kind of going completely rogue and completely new. So they might be looking to reestablish old connections. And, you know, we're not 
know lots of these players have previously been at Bath, Mavericks, Thunder, uh, at Bath, at Thunder, etc. So we could see people going back to places like that, but it's it's hard to say. Well, I'm going to make my prediction that's going to be absolutely wrong by this time next week. <laughs> Sasha, Go for it. Sasha Corbin will be on the coaching staff next season. That's quite bold based on nothing prediction, just because of the way that the Saracens organisation has worked. The rugby coaching staff is pretty much made up of former players, um, whether they've been there a while or, or not. But whether, whether Sasha is still on court next season and uh, taking on a minor coaching role or whether she's part of that staff, that's just my guess. Complete mm. guess. I mean, it's a spicy take. Like, I'm, I'm here for it. It's, it's great. It, I wouldn't be completely surprised if she maybe does an, a player coach type thing and, and takes up an assistant coach or a technical coach role. Because, But I, I don't think she'd step away from the court completely because I think this year has been an absolutely sensational year for her. And we'll sort of talk about her a little bit more later. Um, but, you know, she she's played some of the best netball I think we've seen from her in years. So I'd be surprised if she wanted to hang up the dress completely, but I do think there's probably a lot of wisdom that she'd be able to pass on um, with her attacking prowess. So maybe she will do an assistant coach role and she obviously has a great relationship with Camilla as well. Um, So potentially I'm here for it. Just throwing it out there for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Unless she takes on, is it Mickey Austin that sort of my my game, my ball, my tactics, my my microphone? <laughs> yeah, player coach or player yeah. head coach, director of netball. Um, yeah, one writes band. the theme tune, sings the theme tune, starring <laughs> all <Rattle>, everything. <laughs> someone's yeah. going to do it, right? Well, you know, it, it does look like, regardless of uh, of what happens within within the squad, this is a bit of a uh, a transitional point for the Mavericks. So it is an exciting time to be uh, to get involved. So every time we do this, I do say everyone who watches Saracens rugby just give a game of netball a chance because it is pretty exciting. I'd never oh, never watched the game before in my life before I went to that London Pulse match. So got to start somewhere. Genuinely, people. The, the one thing that people say to me when they watch a game for the first time, be it live or on TV, is that they had no idea how a physical it was and b how fast it was. So, genuinely, just give it a crack. We've got com games coming up uh, this summer. All or the majority of games are going to be on BBC. You've got no excuse not to watch it. <laughs> give it a go. Plug, plug, plug. There we go. Yeah, I must admit, that's exactly my first thoughts was, A, I'm exhausted just watching it because, yeah. to be honest, actually the first thing I did watch was the Fast Fives tournament, and mm. that's even worse. <laughs> um, but, well, actually, was that the first thing? Was it the second thing? We actually, Jez and I were asked to do a bit of commentary on the pre-season friendly against the uh, London Giants game, and after about two minutes, we realised we had no idea what was going on, so it was dreadful. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just the pace of the game and it's not a non-contact sport. Whoever mm. made that one up, complete rubbish. Fully contested. Yeah. Non-contact, fully contested, as Jess Thelby says. Yep, there we go. But anyway, um, what we should do now, we should get on to uh, the positives of uh, of Maverick season and talk about some of the, uh, the better performances of the season and our players of the season, or your players of the season, really. Um, so I think the first thing to do is actually to... Um, to talk about some of the younger players because we, you know, we've we've discussed what might happen in the squad over the next couple of years. But I think, um, from what it looks like, certainly there are a lot of um, good young players being developed in that squad. A lot of them have had perhaps more of a chance than they may be expected to. Uh, people like Britt Clark and even Bella Bayliss coming into the side at age nine or whatever she is. <laughs> um, 
you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of talent in there, um, and other players who have have been pretty much a constant feature in that squad this season. So, um, yeah, in terms of the young players, who stood out for uh, for you guys? Well, I think I would have to say that Aliyah Zaranika has had an incredible season. She is so dynamic, so athletic. Her read of the game is incredible. And I think that she's just had a massive impact every time that she has come on court. She started off in that wing defense position and it was kind of a battle between her and Gabby Marshall for that position. And I think, you know, that's really credit to her for being able to go toe for toe with someone like Gabby Marshall and with her level of experience, who's been in and around the England setup for a number of years. I think Aaliyah has a very, very bright future ahead of her. I've loved watching her um, in combination with Jodie Gibson on that line. I just think the way that they play is so incredible and just that dynamic athleticism is just you always want to see it so yeah I definitely would say her yeah I hands down agree I think she's been absolutely sensational and not only her read of the play but also her closing speed it reminds me a little bit of Vicky Oyosola like the pair of them have exceptional closing speed she just comes out of nowhere um, you know like the bullet train she's absolutely incredible so yeah she is Without a doubt, our young player of the season, for sure. It's pretty clear cut to me. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously a little bit linked to that normally is um, is a sort of most improved player of the season. Now, certainly I struggle with this always when we do it in a rugby match because it kind of hints that they've been bad in the previous season, which isn't always, always the case. But players do develop. Um, sometimes they go from being a good player to a great player. And quite often it is among those young players that you do see that. But um, is there anyone that's really stood out for you from from last season to this one, having uh, having improved quite well? I've got one in my head and I'm going to see whether you say it before I make a complete pig's ear of it. But go on. <laughs> Maybe we should say it at the same time. <laughs> no, I refuse. I've already made a <laughs> prediction for the day. <laughs> so for us, and you're absolutely right, it's not a case that she started badly and then ended good. It's that she started good and ended sensational, and that is Beth Akuyadale. Yes! yes. <laughs> See, you do know what you're on about. <laughs> I, I think she has had a real breakout season. She's owned that centre bib. Again, you know, knock, knocking Gabby Marshall off that centre spot. You know, Gabby's that centre wing defence, and I think the two youngsters have really, really stood up this year. Um, I think she's incredibly unlucky not to make the Roses Futures programme. I'm assuming that she would have put her name forward. Um, but if she did, she's very unlucky not to make it. If she didn't, then that's a, a, a real shame. And hopefully we'll see her there in future years. But I just think, you know, she's got stamina for days. She's a really, I think she's quite a defensive centre. And I think with the strength that Mavericks have in their defence end, she just really fits in nice and uh, slots in there really well. She complements the defensive pressure. She adds to it. Uh, I just think she was absolutely incredible. She's not afraid to let the ball go as well, though. You know, mm. she she is defense, but she's a true centre in that respect that she's on the feed. She's creating space. You know, she's so, so quick, you know, hitting circle edge that it's been impressive to watch her grow this year. 
Yeah. And like just the basic things like her change of direction and the rolls that she does off the body, like around the circle edge, it, it's like poetry in motion sometimes. And there was this one clip, I can't remember what round it is from now, but Camilla shared it on her story. And I honestly watched it about 12 times because I just couldn't comprehend like the footwork and the speed that she was <laughs> able to move her body. Like it was just insane. So yeah, she she started off great and ended phenomenal. No, yeah. I, I always think with um, there's players like that you, you sort of look and you think not quite sure how old you are certainly from from my point of view but you look like you've been playing for 10-15 years and then you realise actually you know they're in their second or third season and, and not overawed by by any situation they're in so yeah you clearly got a um, a pretty talented player in our hands there so mm. interesting to see where, where both Elias Aronika and, and Bethy Coyote will go over the next um, next few years and there's people behind them as well so I'm glad um, I noticed something in the one game that I saw. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, should have been braver, but there we go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that um, brings us on to the big one, really, a player of the season. Now, it, it's obviously a difficult one to give because, as we mentioned, there's been a lot of injuries around the squad. There's not a lot of um, players that have actually played the full season at this point. So it's a really tricky one to, to give out. You could almost give a first half of the season and a second half of the season, I think. But um, lots of uh, lots of people we haven't mentioned at all yet. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see where you go with this one. We sort of undenied about this one because mm. I think there's been a few key players who have really stood up, but actually it's somebody that we have already mentioned, which is Sasha Corbin. I think, like Lou said, she's just had the season of her life really this year. And when we spoke to her on the podcast a few weeks ago, uh, quite a few weeks ago, actually, back in May, I think, she said that she was just really enjoying her netball. And actually, you can really see that from her performances, just the flair and the freedom that she's playing with. It's just a joy to watch. And I think she's come into her own being that leader, being, you know, that that playmaker in the attacking end. And lots of people were talking about a potential return to the England Roses this year, which is just a complete credit to how well she's done this season. And I think I would agree that she's um, yeah very deserving of that award, although there were a few other contenders as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to look past Kadeen Corbin as well and, and how she had to move to goalkeeper, which is what probably her third, fourth position on court <laughs> in terms of her, her preferred position. So it was hard to look past her, but I think Sasha's just been so consistent this year. And I think you mentioned that flair. For me, this is the first year that it's she's been able to show that flair and that um, athleticism and the kind of spark on court, but it's been a, in a controlled way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been the difference from 2022 compared to 2021 and previous. So yeah. yeah, some of the best netball of her career. And I think it's very well deserved. Fair play. Oh, I'm looking forward to her completely giving up netball and being on the coaching staff. Really <laughs> <laughs> <Probably> logical. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, if that does happen, I'll be straight on the phone and uh, I'll be getting my pundits role on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it does look like she's had a, had a fantastic season regardless of what she does next year uh, she'll be in some form of of leadership role and is a yeah, valuable experience really for for any team that she's playing for and hopefully I think it's still Mavericks to be fair but there mm. we go um so yeah Kadeen Corbin's an interesting one because like I say she's played in three or four different positions um so assuming that she is it would be in the full team of the season where exactly does she uh, does she fit in this year 
Oh, so, absolutely. Oh, sorry, Luce. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I, I just love her in goal attack. We've had many debates back and forth, haven't we, about the goal shooter goal attack for Kadeem Corbin, but I always think that her in goal attack is just magical, especially with Sasha Corbin next to her as well. You know, those two, their combination. I, I mean, I don't know if it is telepathic because of the sister thing or, <laughs> you know, there's some definitely something going on there because they can just create plays and create movement and create so much space in that attacking end that I I just don't I I don't see why you wouldn't have her in that goal attack position unless it was an exceptional circumstance like you had this year and she can shoot you know absolutely undeniably she can shoot from range if she gets the radar on early then other teams should be very worried because you know she once she gets her confidence up She's pretty much unstoppable in terms of um, how creative she is. And so, yeah, I would always put her in goal attack from from my perspective. Yeah. I mean, in, in years gone past, I have sometimes preferred her in that goal shooter position because I think sometimes if she has all of that court space in goal attack, she can occasionally get a little bit too tricksy or a little bit too flashy and she's kind of almost a little bit more restrained in goal shooter. And I think it brings out the best of her, but on the flip side, like I can absolutely understand wanting to give her the court to be able to work her magic. And when it's controlled, it's sensational. And I think as well, giving her that extra third, you know, if she's running out in goal attack, you also get her defensive pressure through the midcourt. Mm. So that's another thing that helps to slow the ball down if turnovers do happen in the attacking end. You know, she's always getting tips and intercepts, you know, wherever she is on the court. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Seems fair to me. So that's um, we've got we've got four out of seven there, I think, haven't we? So uh, what have we got left? Goalkeeper, goal shooter, goal defence as well, I think. So yeah, who else fits into that team of the year? So goal shooter, although Britt Clark did a great job when uh, she was called upon, we have actually gone for Venter because despite the the injuries that she had when she was on court she you know she absolutely shoots the lights out she shoots from range as well uh, she's a really tall player so she can be that target but she's also got some pretty fancy footwork so she can move around and i think you know towards the start of the season when we did have corbin in uh, goal attack and her in goal shooter they were building a really really lovely partnership so we've gone for venter in that goal shooter Kadeen Corbin goal attack, Sasha Corbin obviously wing attack, as you mentioned, Beffa Kuya Dale in that centre bib, uh, Aliyah Zaranika in wing defence. Goal defence is no one can take this off of her. It's got to be Jodie Gibson. Again, she was another strong contender for Player of the Year, actually, from my perspective. She's been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if she had put herself forward for the Roses programme, I would have said hands down that she would have got in because, again, she's playing some of the best netball in her life. And it's just a shame that, you know, we know that she didn't put herself forward because she's still rehabbing and she isn't quite there with her knees yet. But um, she's just playing incredible netball. And so goalkeeper, we we have also gone for Quashi. because before, again, before her injury, so unlucky, man, these guys. But yeah, before her injury, she 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 was just playing great. And her partnership with Gibson was one of the best in the entire league. You know, the only ones who are really rivaling them, I think, were Pulse, potentially. 
Yeah. And the thing with Quashi is she just puts the fear of God in anyone. Like if you're, if you're an opposition player coming down the court and you're looking in and you see a Raja Quashi in there, you do not want to put that ball in over her head. So it's, it's really that amazing presence that she had. And like you said, the partnership as well. I really, really hope she's back in time for next season, because I think in terms of her World Cup prospects, that will be a really important build up. So we'll have to wait and see how she gets on in her rehab. Yeah, 100%, especially with the likes of Alice Harvey. You know, she's had a stonker season as well. She mm. is knock, knock, knocking. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, of course, she's not the tallest defender either, but she's like Fumi Fidoji. She's got great elevation. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she's just terrifying to come up against. <laughs> it's one one of the first things that um, that I said, having watched a couple of games of netball and, and speaking to, to Kat Rantapala, was, was that it looks like Raz Kwashi sort of lives half a second ahead of everyone else. That sort of anticipation yep. of, of where the ball is. I, I don't understand how people can be that agile and anticipate that well what's happening. So, yeah, she's clearly a talent and it'd be nice for her to have an injury-free season at some point. It seems yeah, like she, two or three years have been pretty ropey for her. But. Yeah, she lives in her own time zone, that's for sure. It's uh, the quashy <laughs> meantime. <laughs> there we are. If we could live in that, it'd be perfect, wouldn't it? But, um, yeah, so that's um, that's our team of the year. Guys, we've got three minutes. <laughs> Anything <laughs> else you would like to bring up while we're here? Oh, gosh. Um, not that I can think of, really. Just to reiterate how excited I am to, to see the future of where Mavs are going to go with this new setup, what they're going to do with the team. Are they going to back them in for another year? Are they going to sort of throw the bibs in the air and bring in a whole new team? Um, it, it's, there's just so, it's so unpredictable at the moment. Um, but I think... You know, with Tamsin and Camilla at the helm, I am incredibly excited to to see where they go. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I think it's always difficult coming in as a brand new coach, you know, taking on that head coach role. But because of Camilla's kind of existing relationship at Mavs, I think she's just in the perfect position to do that and be successful coming straight in. And obviously we know that Tamsin, when she went to Wasps, she was very successful in her tenure there as well. And that was the connection with the rugby club that she can then build in. Because I do think that that is something, if we can grow and develop that partnership and almost a sort of... I was going to say cross-pollination, but that sounds a bit weird, but that kind of connection between, you know, the different sports and the women's rugby as well at Saracens, you know, that could really be a really strong thing and a big future for the club. Yeah, I mean, that's the bit I'm looking forward to the most is that much tighter connection between between the rugby club and the netball team. So, yeah, plenty to look forward to for uh, for next season for Mavs. Um, and, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the squad looks like, what the coaching staff looks like, and then, yeah, where it all goes from there. But... With um, a minute to go until I get chucked off my own Zoom link for being a cheapskate. <laughs> um, Lucy Goodman, Lucy Pollock, thank you very much for, uh, for joining me over the last, uh, last half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, to everyone listening, if you want to, uh, to hear a bit more detail and a bit more actual expert knowledge rather than me talking about netball, then do check out the Quarter Time podcast. It is fantastic. They will be running through the Commonwealth Games, as mentioned. So, yeah, definitely uh, have a listen. But for now, guys, thank you very much for joining me and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Oh, thanks thanks for so us much. On. You're listening to the Fezcast. Well, 
that was a fascinating interview there, Matt, and some bold predictions from you there. I mean, uh, you're going Billy Big Balls there, I think, you know, on uh, some of that, Matt. Well done to you. But thank you to Lucy and Lucy from the Quarter Time podcast. That was fascinating. I really enjoyed that. So, yeah, give it a few months and uh, we'll see how much egg you got on your face, Matt. Well, look, when you're faced with two people that genuinely know what they're talking about and you're just sitting there like a lemon trying to think of something to say, you've got to go in and say something bold because otherwise there's no point in me talking. I don't know much about net, but we've really tried this season. And to be fair, it's been an enjoyable season from what I've watched. A couple of matches, went to one live, getting into it. But I don't know what I'm talking about. So I have to decide that... Captain, doesn't stop us talking about rugby, though, does it? But perhaps no. that's the problem. Perhaps oh, that's the problem. Really? We so, don't get those bold statements from our guests because <laughs> they just look at us and think, do they know what they're doing? But hey, <laughs> let's move back to the rugby, Matt, and uh, let's um, stay with the women, but talk about, well, I mean, we're going to do it for the men. We're going to pick a team. I think the women's team pretty much picks itself, doesn't it, really? If you, if you turn around and said the 23... From the squad who won that final, uh, yeah, that's your team of the year. I mean, th- th- there's been a lot of good players who come through the squad who perhaps haven't played full seasons, um, been injured or whatever. But you know that team that you put that they put out that beat Exeter Chiefs so comprehensively, really, in the final. I, I don't think we can go too far away from that as the team of the year, can we, Matt? Not too far. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a look and sort of blindly picked the uh, the 15 that I would have picked. Um, and I think the only major change from the final was obviously the fact that Zoe Harrison didn't play in the final. Yeah. Um, carried a knock after the Six Nations and missed out for a while. Um, so I think she'd come into the back line. I mean, it's and it's really tricky to, from that line up in the final, who you actually pick to uh, to drop for her. And unfortunately, probably Cara Wardle, to be honest, who started yeah. at centre and you shuffle round and you stick Holly Aitchison in the centres alongside Kelter and the Harrison plays fly half, but that's very harsh on Cara Wardle. Um, and then possibly you sort of look back a little bit on the rest of the season and before she picked up a horrific injury, Georgia Evans was playing fantastically well at the start of the season um, and into January, February, whenever it was, when her arm just got shattered into a million pieces and she managed to come back and was on the bench for the final. So yeah. I think she's probably in the back row for me. Um, can't really drop Marley Packer, Poppy Cleo, Vicky Fleetwood out of a back row. So yeah, well, I mean, like, well, Poppy's obviously, and we will discuss this because I've got four names written down. And actually, I saw rugby, was it Rugby Saracens on Twitter? It put their, um, uh, and I haven't even picked Holly Aitchison, who got their player of the year, who again was had another great, great season, stepped up into that fly half role with, with Zoe's um, injury. And did brilliantly well. But I think the four players that we need to mention, we'll start with the backs. Alif Kelter, brilliant. Absolutely fantastic season. Hard running, great kicking, did everything. And in the final, she really, I mean, she really impressed Sharon, my wife, who was there, who hadn't been to any women's games before or watched, you know, watched too much. She really impressed Sharon and she had a great season, didn't she? She did, yeah, and it's hard to forget actually that she only turned up in January. Yeah, um, but slotted in and, and just showed world class talent straight away. Um, and I think possibly made the difference for us 
over the course of the season quite a lot. We might not even have finished top without some of her influence, actually, because we were struggling with injuries at one point. Um, and there were some very close matches. So, yeah, she had a fantastic, fantastic half a season for us. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we're going to move into the forwards for the other three players. Going to start with two superstars. And these guys get all applauded. One's been a guest on the on the on the first cast, Marley Packer, who I Marley Packer, I think, probably should get the award of being player of the season. I'm gonna make this award now, right? Marley Packer is player of the season across the club, men and women, because yep. her standard is up there somewhere. And then it's perhaps a little bit further on from that. She is just outstanding, and she's a lovely girl as well. And brilliant, brilliant interview with her. You know, she's just got everything completely and utterly right. And when I turn around to you now, and I'll say, I'll say a comment to you that the greatest player who's ever played the game of rugby is Richard Hill, and I see a lot, awful lot of Richard Hill in Marley Packer, and that is me paying Marley Packer the greatest compliment ever. So I'm not, we're not going to make a women's player of the year. But executive decision for me because I'm recording. I'm, I'm in charge of the recording tonight. Marley Packer is our club player of the year across the board. Is that yeah. fair enough, Matt? It is. Um, and you know, I know how much of a pedestal you put Richard Hill on. So paying Marley Packer one of the biggest compliments you can possibly pay her. Um, and now, you know, like like you say, professionalism has has really taken her game to the next level. Um, and she is absolutely phenomenal. And it, it, like we spoke to her about it, it the only the only thing that's going to stop her is herself when she decides to call it quits. I think unless unless her body fails her and, and gets a few injuries and packs up, she's got a long, long way to go in the game. And quite rightly, I, you know, like you say, being a, a club player of the season across all the teams, I think absolutely quite right. And I know what you're going to come on to now. And I think this is a very, very fair comment, something that we discussed before we started this show on having a women's player of the year. Listen up, everyone, because this does make sense. Well, the first person, the second person I'm going to mention is Poppy Cleal. Because Poppy's been great. And she come back from England. And again, I'm going to allude to Richard Hill. She's played, moved into the second row. She's been managed in the second row because she is playing on one leg. And I remember the season when Richard Hill came back after about his 15th knee ligament operation and replacement. And if you ever read Hilly's book about when he very nearly died and still came back and played and you think, shit, mate, you've got a World Cup winner's medal. You're three times British line or whatever. You know, Why are you doing this? But she showed that same sort of thing. Though Poppy Cleal is just absolutely amazing. And, you know, what she did and managed herself, but still put those great performances in, is amazing. But the thing you've got to say about Marley, Poppy, Olive, um, Holly, so these are girls who are now professional. Our player of the year is May Campbell for the simple reason that May hits those same levels that Marley and Poppy and all the rest do yet she goes to work during the day and she is not paid to play rugby. And yet she has a professionalism about her and a determination. That, right, let's put it this way. The women's game is getting more and more money into it. It's getting more and more professional. Countries are giving other countries 
boards are giving out contracts and everything. The first person who is currently not on a professional contract who should be given a professional contract is May Campbell. Am I right? I think you're pretty fair. Yeah. Um, there's a World Cup around the corner. Um, May Campbell and Elavivas is someone I kind of want to mention in that bracket as well. I definitely agree with you that May is um, that, let's just call it, Un, non unprofessional players, non professional player of the season, probably a little bit unprofessional as well. Um, but um, May Campbell, Elavivas, and there's probably a couple of others around, certainly around the Premier 15s that are in this bracket as well. They're close to England reckoning, they're yeah. close to earning that central contract. Um, I think just because of the strength and depth England have at hooker, I think May's possibly just going to fall short of a World Cup spot, and Ella might get one, which would be which would be interesting. And she's another person on the radar. But yeah, just I, I, if we can expand out on the professional contracts for female players in this country, then then that is your, your next rung of, of talent. And yeah, first name on the list for me. I, I, I don't see don't see why she shouldn't be there at all. I see not. I mean, you know, she, she's a try machine, but, you know, it's, the simple things that she does so brilliantly well. And I mean, she plays in a position where accuracy is needed, where practice is needed, where, you know, it's it's doing the same thing time and time and time again, but getting it 100% right. And she does that all the time. You can see when she speaks to, her, to us, and she's been on us our, our first cast a couple of times now, she has that time despite the fact that she, you know, she holds down a job as well. She'll give that, she's got the whole package, she, you know, not only a player, but a club person. She, you know, she, yeah. And in, I, I guess in 10, 15 years time, whenever it is that she hangs up her boots, she will become a club cult hero as well. I mean, she's already there in my book, to be perfectly honest with you. And yeah, fully deserving of the award. Yep. So we'll call that non, non-professional Player of the season. <laughs> she's just the women's player of the year. She's been absolutely superb <laughs> and she deserves every accolade going and a lot more besides. And yeah, you know, I'd be picking her for England. You know, it's harsh and the girls are, um, you know, are in the uh, occupy the space that the England shirts at the moment. But yeah, I think she deserves the chance as well, and and definitely should be there or thereabouts. So, yeah. I mean, we, we we need a we need a third choice hooker for England for the World Cup. You've got Amy Kakane and Lark Davis, who are the two professional players. Flip a coin between who's going to start that match, but you need a third one there. Mm. And there are a couple that have had made have made England appearances, and May hasn't quite done it yet. So she might miss out just on that basis. But yeah, she. Another good season, and surely she's going to be. I mean, the Six Nations next year, hundred percent. That's got to be the target for her after after another year. So, fingers crossed. We'll see. Absolutely. Well, look, I'd say congratulations to the women, um, Alex and the team as well. Uh, they had a fantastic season, coming back from a um, disappointment in the final the previous year. Let's hope they're the blueprint for the men the next season, that they can work on that and, you know, and that they continue to be successful next season, as I'm sure they will be. Right, let's have a word from the sponsor and then we'll come back with the final part and we'll get into the big bones of it and uh, we'll pick the men's team of the year and then we'll throw out the um, the awards for those guys as well. This is the Fezcast. 
This is Jess from the Fezcast to tell you about another one of my passions. I love music and I have my own radio podcast station, Taka Blow Big Radio. This is the home of great music presented by myself and my friends, be it folk, rock, indie anthems, progressive music, you name it, we've got it covered. So if you want to listen to some great music, tune in to us at mixcloud.com slash Tarka Blowpig. You're listening to the Fezcast. To the Fezcast. Well, we come to the final section of the final episode of season two on the Fezcast, and it's time to forget about the final. That's one of them things. It happens. But to talk about what has been a pretty good season, you know, we've said it on many occasions, we were unsure where we would be as a team this year, what we would achieve, what we would do, how we would fit back into the into Premiership Rugby. And I think we've exceeded all expectations, both domestically and in Europe. So, yeah, a great season. First yeah. things first, we're going to pick the team of the year. And I think we'll do Loosehead and Hooker at the same time. Um, and I'm going to throw out my, my options here. Now, I'm expecting Matt to probably argue for Mako and Jamie to be there, potentially. But my choices for Loosehead and Hooker are Aroni Maui and Tom Wollstonecroft. For a simple reason that over the winter, Jamie was away, Mako was injured, or you know, the people were away on England duty, whatever. There was a period of time when in previous years you wouldn't have worried about it because we had that strength and depth. This year, we were slightly worried going into those months when we were going to be losing players on international duty, and then we had injuries and everything. And you looked at Roni Marwee and you looked at Tom Walsh-Coffee and thought, are they going to be up to it? And we, we mentioned it on the first cast, didn't we, about, at that time and said, look, yeah. we're concerned. And those two players stepped up to the plate, I think. And in those integral, important weeks, well, Tom scored try after try after try. And at one point, you had Lawrence Delalio on the telly going, well, look at him scoring tries. Surely he's got to be in, in England, reckoning. And Aroni was just running around, bouncing people off left, right and centre, wasn't he? And there was a couple of occasions where he'd set up tries and scored one himself, I think, that were just at those, those great moments in, in, in games. And, and, yeah, I think those two really did help define our season this year. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason I made the point right at the start that we've got to look back at the entire season. It's easy to sort of think about it, what's happened recently. Um, but yeah, you've got to look at various points over the season when we were missing players, when players came in, had a run of games that they maybe weren't expecting and really stepped up to the plate. And Irony Marley and, and Tom Wollstonecroft are probably the two that did that the most this season. You know, we've had a lot of a lot of people having to put their hand up for for a lot of different reasons, but um Tom Wollstonecroft over over the winter and then only a little bit later on in the in the season um both of them really kicked on a gear 
Um, and I, I think especially for Tom Wollstonecroft to be to be cut down with concussion when he was, and he was in the form of his life, mm. um, definitely. So, so actually, for you know, we're gonna we're gonna compete a bit over our over our team of the year, I'm sure. But actually, I am agreeing with you that Tom Wollstonecroft plays the two shirt in my team of the year. Now, there's going to be people that have just thrown their phones out their windows and crashed their cars that Jamie George isn't in our team of the year, but he's on the bench. <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I can't look that that spell that Tom Wollstonecraft had when we could have really struggled. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Jamie has been consistent this season, but I actually don't think he's put in the superstar international performances this year that we know he's he's capable of. He's been brilliant. He's been he's been a great, great player. But Tom Wollstonecroft has played a spell of games above what Jamie George has done this season. I think that's a fact. And like you say, he scored tries for fun, for fun at one point as well. So Tom Wollstonecroft is in there. For me, team of the year, Mako has still done enough this year consistently across 25, 26 games that he played to, to be my starting loose head. So we do disagree on, on the prop, but, you know, same as I'd have Aroni Maui on the bench every day of the week, and he's going to play a big part next season as well, definitely. Absolutely, especially with Baz now on his way to uh, to France. Yeah, he, he's going to be important. And uh, uh, we did mention him. He's off on um, international duty as well this year as well. Didn't he? he was the one we, we missed out there. But we move over to tight head and there is only really one choice there. And that is Mr. Incredible um, Vincent Cock. Now, Vinny, very early on in the season, the news came out that he was off to Wasps. And fair dues, you know, Salary caps, blah de blah de blah de blah. He has a value. The club couldn't meet that value. Wasps could, although maybe they can't anymore. Well, that <laughs> that remains to be seen. But what you can say about Vinny more than anything else is that guy's a pro. He's a total pro. His level of commitment, his level of performance, did not drop, despite the fact that we all knew that he was off at the end of the season, and. You just can't argue with that. He he has been brilliant this season again and has proven the fact that right up until the moment, he no longer gets a pay packet with Saracens on the top left-hand corner. He is a Saracen through and through. Always will be, you know, once a Saracen, always a Saracen, really. So I, you can't argue with that. Yeah, there's, there's no way anyone couldn't pick Vinny is the starting tight end. I mean, we've, we've had about 15 that have uh, had to play tight end this season. But um, Vinny's um, he's been fantastic, hasn't he? Um, yeah. Again, he, he, did have, he did have an injury himself. But yeah, he's just really, really solid. And actually, the, the, the line breaks that he's made this year, unbelievable. So, sort of coming off first receiver from either from Davis or, or Farrell and breaking the line over the last few games. It's... It's, it's not what tight heads do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hand in your prop card, mate. But, you know, yeah, he's been fantastic. And I think we, you know, you always have to lose a big name player occasionally um, and players retire and players. And I, I think this is, I mean, this is bold. I think we're going to miss Vinny just as much, if not more than we miss Brad Barrett. Yeah. He's that level of, level of player for me. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and you look at the the tight heads we've got in the club, you know, and this is no disrespect to those tight heads. Alec Clary's come from Championship Rugby. Christian Judge is 
being around the 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 the, the, the southwest without really imposing himself on any team. There's a question mark over Marco Riccioni and he and his fitness. And then we've got the, the lad coming in from Argentina. And you know, let's be honest about it. We always look better with an Argentinian tight head there or thereabouts, you know. So um yeah, it, it, but none of them are, are at Vinny's Vinny's standard, you know. And the fact that Vinny's not first choice to South Africa just tells you how good South Africa are at creating tight head props. But yeah, he's he's a nail in there. So we move on to the second row. And this is an interesting one because for me, there are three players to fill two positions. And one of those positions is going to be another one of those ones that when you needed him to step up, when others were away on international duty, he did it despite probably should be underneath a car repairing it. And has retired. He's retired more times than Frank Sinatra, I think now. And that's Tim Swinson. But Tim Swinson gets my number four share. Quite simply because, uh, like Tom Wolstencroft, like Aroni Maui, at a period in time when we needed him to step up, he rolled back the ears and stepped up. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Tim Swinson does make my team of the year as well. Um, very, very reliable, um, and I think it it spoke a lot that in the semi-final against Quinns, it was a very interesting tactical selection that Tim Swinson was playing and Nick Ezekwe was on the bench. Um, and it worked absolutely perfectly. Tim, Tim Swinson grafted away for the first half and well into the second half, um, doing what he does, which is a lot of that second row grunt work that doesn't get any plaudits that you don't really see happen, but gets very well recognised by the squad and then came off. And he's done that consistently this season and for a player who like you say was retired to play upwards of 20 games across the season I don't know how many it was but it speaks measures that yeah he, he should have retired a while ago he's definitely retiring now but he's still playing at that level unbelievable really so yeah he's, he's in my team of the year as well in that second row and like you say second row and then into the back row it gets really tricky to slot everyone who's performed well in so absolutely it does well look let's go right. for the go for the number five shirt and it's between marrow and nikaziki and both of them have at particular times of the season performed brilliantly nikaziki really did win us the semi-final i think he was the integral you know people we'd held on to this that nick came on and changed that game and that you know and he's done an awful lot of that this year. He's, he seems to have bulked out a little bit. He's got more of a physical presence about him. Uh, and he's becoming more dominant around the park. He's matured in the last couple of years. Perhaps going away to Northampton Sanctuary year helped in that way as well. But Marrow's Marrow. I mean, Marrow is a superstar. Marrow's problem is, is he's a superstar. So we expect him to be a 10 out of 10 man of the match performance every time he gets out that field. Unfortunately for Marrow, I think the last month he's looked absolutely knackered. He's played an awful lot of rugby and I'm a bit worried about him going away with England in Australia. You know, I could see him coming back from Australia and the club just turned around him and saying, have a couple of months off, mate. And, and it will do in the world of good because... 
he he needs some time away from rugby. I think he's he's been the poster boy, you know. And other players, like Brodie Ritalik has done it in in New Zealand, hasn't he? You know, he's gone away and gone into a little bit of a Japanese kind of like backwater almost, and and taken that opportunity to recharge and reset. I think Marrow could do with doing something slightly similar to that. But you know, if you were to say Nick or Marrow. I think you'd go Marrow every time, aren't you? Um, yeah, so Marrow's in the second row, definitely. He has missed a lot of rugby this season for, for his for his level. Um, I think the one good thing we have got with the international tours this summer is it's a normal tour and it does finish a few weeks earlier than the Lions tour did. So he has hopefully got a little bit more of a rest, a little bit more of a pre-season and hopefully we do sort of see him back to his best if he survives an Eddie, Eddie Jones tour. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... I'm going, to, I'm going to let you start the next section of it, but I've got both Maroitoji and Nikaziki in my team of the year. So I've managed to slot them in at the expense of someone else. And you can probably guess who, but I'll let you uh, let you talk about the next one because... Well, Blindside in- is a real, a real, really competitive place. Now, the first things to say is at the start of the season, if you were to turn around to me and say, who is going to be your blindside throughout the season, and it's going to be there in the team of the year, I would have said Jackson Ray, and he said, you sure? And I said, yeah, Jackson Ray. I think Jackson I has been a great servant for our club. But like we've talked last week after the final about players like Alex Scooge and Sean Maitland maybe coming towards that cliff edge, Jackson has been usurped by not just one player, but probably three players in Nick Azikwi. <coughs> Excuse me. Andy Christie and Theo McFarland. Absolutely 100%. I've picked Theo McFarland purely because he excites the hell out of me. He really does. That boy has got it all. He's very raw. But it's situations where he's leaping like a fullback to win high balls. And then he's throwing out big massive dummies and you know he's carrying the ball in one hand and then knocking people off with the other the guy is different custard and yeah I can understand what you're going to say Matt I just see I just see Theo McFarland I mean Nick Kennedy's got to take some real credit here for spotting this player and going he's raw but he's going to be good. And I mean, I've, I've said it on more than one occasion. I can see him developing into the best number eight in the world, quite simply. You know, he's got Sergio Prezi's skills plus a little bit extra on top. The, the boy is special. And he has really, really impressed me. But then Andy Christie's come in and has never let the team down. And Nick Azikwi, again, has never let the team down. And gives you that cover at, at, at second row as well, which Theo does as well. Um, it's blindside is a hugely competitive position in that in that in that side, and yeah, well done to them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is probably the hardest position on the pitch to slot someone in, especially you know once we've. There was even when when we were discussing this before we started, we were both even debating whether Maruitoji gets in our team purely because of the fact that we had to try and fit so many other players into, into that into that lineup. And I think we don't really need to discuss seven and eight because we've already talked about them on the show. Benno or Billy Vulipone, you there's no way they're not in that team. They've probably been our two best players of the season. So like you say, we've got 
if, if we've both got Maratoji and Tim Swinson, four and five, then you've got Ezekwe, McFarland, Christie, Jackson Ray. There's a lot to there's a lot to choose from there, and you know there's a reason that Sean Raphael, even though he's been a fantastic young player for us over a few years, is leaving because he's just not getting into that team. No, at six or seven. So, you know, it, it was a very very difficult choice. This and you know, like I said, for me, I, I couldn't not pick Nick Ezekwe. He's been ultra consistent this season, and and that's why he gets into that team. Jackson Ray, like you say, I think he's he's down the pecking order a little bit, and he's you know he will be the club servant for a lot longer. Um, but he could well be a squad player now. But that said, as soon as he's on the pitch, we'll realise he's still got top class. He's just had a few few injury issues and things lately. Yeah, and then you come down to Andy Christie and Theo McFarland, and hard not to pick either of them. Um, both of them have developed brilliantly over the course of this season. Um, I don't really know what I what why Andy Christie. The only reason Andy Christie isn't isn't in my team is because Nick Ezekwe is. That's the only way I could put it. Andy Christie's been been brilliant in the games that he's played. And Theo McFarland is my most improved player of the season by a country mile. Um, yep, yeah, very raw. Um, took a while to get some game time. Started in the Prem Cup and things, and has ended up playing in the final because he's developed that well. The only reason he hasn't made my team of the year is because for all of the highlights reel that we've had and for the fantastic games that he's played, when it comes down to it in the big crunch matches, he's not been the best player on the park by quite a way. He has gone missing a little bit. And I think it's just that one little bit of his game that he needs to develop is doing the simple stuff, to be honest, mm. and and playing well without the big highlights but it, you know he's not far I'm not far off that team of the year certainly for me but there's just that one little bit he's still a bit raw and he's developing into a phenomenal player so he doesn't quite make it in for me but it's a really harsh call absolutely but well I mean yeah it's a harsh call on all of those players they've all performed fantastically well and yeah, you know, I mean, there's the claims that you could move a couple of them over into the open side of number eight. But as you say, Ben Earl, Billy Villapola have been two standout players for Saracens this year. Um, one's got rewarded with it with an England called up again. One should have been rewarded with an England called up, but has been rewarded by being Premiership Player of the Year as well. And, you know, as I say, Ben Earl's our Player of the Year, so he gets in. So we move to the halfbacks. The, the interesting one, nine... I don't think there's really been a standout candidate there. Ali Davis had the had the nod. Ivan Van Zyl, I like the look of Ivan. I think he he really does give a zip at breakdown time that perhaps Ali isn't quite as quick as, but Ali's other than the finals, a lot more accurate with his, you know, with the core side of things. And Ruben hasn't really had a great deal of chance to impose himself on the team. So really it's between even and, uh, and Alid and Alid really does get the nod, but it's not been a classic. Well, we do still miss the likes of oh, Richard Wigglesworth, who proved that again, despite being 912 on uh, on last Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's hard again. 
it's hard to look back, given that we've lost the final in the way that we did, it is hard to look back on the season. But Ali Davis this year has had some very good games for us. Um, and he's someone, when he came into the club, I mean, he's almost been a long-running feature of the Fez cast. We, we've we've talked about Ali Davis's game a lot because it's it's gone up and down. He came in, started slowly. Then over the course of the championship season, you really saw how he developed into the Saracens way. And he then continued that at the start of this season. And then I think there's been a little bit of a wobble towards the end, end of the season. But I think, yeah, over the course of the year, he has been a, a good nine for us. And yes, we miss Richard Wigglesworth. We miss Neil DeCock. We miss Ben Spencer. We were lucky to have that level at scrum half. But I don't think Ali Davis has had a bad season. I think he's had an okay season. And I think there will be things that he will be working on in pre-season. And I think even Van Ziel will look at getting more game time. And But I do like how we've used him this year in that last half an hour of a match when things are starting to tie down a little bit because he is really zippy. The the ball comes out of that rut quick enough that I can actually see the break, breakdown even happen. Yeah. Um, whether he's the future as a starting nine, just be, you know, because there are areas of his game that need a bit of development, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but I think there is. <laughs> okay, we go back to the contract side of things. All three of those scrum halves are out of contract in the summer, and I think it's a case of picking two, just because of you know salary caps reducing and things. So I think they've given themselves as much chance as possible to have a look at that and. Ruben de Haas is probably one of them just because he's got five years on both Davis and Van Ziel. So there's an element of competition in there for next year. But yeah, certainly this year, Ali Davis, at the end of the day, he's played every game pretty much, started every match. So uh, it's hard not to pick him in your team of the year just purely because he's been that starting nine for the year. Mark McCall trusts him, so why shouldn't we? Absolutely. Well, talking to people that Mark McCall trusts at 10, there is only one player at 10 and he hasn't played the entire season. But when he has played, he's been, again, different custard. And that's the skipper. Faz is, let's be honest about it, if he wasn't called Farrell and he wasn't playing for Saracens, <laughs> there would be an awful lot of people saying he's the greatest Ted around. And he is, for me, he is the best player in the world and he's the best 10 I've seen since Dan Carter. You can keep your Johnny Sexton's. You can keep your damn diggers. You can keep your Bowden Barretts. You end some acts, whatever. If I'm picking a team to play for my life in a World 15 against Martians 15 or whoever it is, Owen Farrell is my 10 and he is my captain. And I didn't say that start of the season about captaincy because I don't like having 10s at captain. But, you know, he is black and red bloods. He's got Saracen through him like a stick of Brighton Rock. And that boy is is nails. Simple as. Yeah. No, no arguments at all. Um, and we've seen it. I think we've actually seen his game develop as well this year. Um, you see the you know the running to the line and audacious offloads that are coming out of him as well. That that's not something that we've always seen from him. Yeah. Um, and I think actually, in a weird way, that also shows why he's a really good twelve for England. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think I think also as well, it's been good for him is that Marcus Smith has suddenly. God, everybody used to say, like, oh, you need to pick Danny Cipriani. Owen Farrell was never worried about Danny Cipriani because he knew that Danny Cipriani would would not be consistent enough. And, you know, he was a, he was a bit of a flat track buddy. Mark Smith is a great player. Two, two, no two ways about it. He's a great player. 
And Owen stepped his game up to compete with that and to be on the same par of him. And that is the guy. He's done it. It's not his natural game, but he's done it and he's been prepared for it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he's our 10. Can't argue. No Absolutely. Way. Absolutely. 12 picks itself as well. Nick Tompkins. All day. Every day. Yeah. Nick, Nick, um, Nick was a smidgen away from being my player of the year. An absolute smidgen. You know, Ben Earl's got man of the match performances. Nick Tompkins has. Nick Tompkins is. And that's Eddie's biggest mistake over the last five years is not picking Nick Tompkins for England. I think you're probably right, yeah. Um, and I think if I go right back to the start of the season, I think Nick actually had a fairly quiet start. Um, but I think it, that period of the season, I think anyone who had the 13 shirt on was going to have quite a quiet <laughs> Quiet start to the season just because of the way we uh, we had to play, or I think it was actually at twelve at the time. Um, but yeah, he's 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 scrappy, isn't he? I, I, I never I never understand. You know, he he he's a lot stronger than he looks, and I think we're going to talk about a couple of other players who are like that as well. But he for the size that he seems to be, he's a really physical centre. And and yeah, I think he's one of our first names on the team sheet now. And he, you know, he took a took a little while to break into the squad. Um, he's been around a long, long time, but he made his debut very, very early, and he spent a long time waiting in the wings. And it's it's really really paid off for him. Absolutely, has you know. And and the one thing you know, when go back to what we said at the start of the show, when talking about Ali Davis getting done fry tackles and everything, two players who don't tackle high, but two players who stop players, Nick Tompkins and Ben Earl, and both of them, you know, the, the, they set the template for what all the rest of the players should be doing in tackle-wise. And, you know, it was proven in the semi-final against Queens. Andre Esthausen thought he was going to run over Owen Farrell, which he may well have done if he'd been able to get to Owen Farrell. But he was hit from the left by Ben Earl, and he was hit from the right by Nick Tompkins, and they took his legs away. And that's how, how you stop a big boy. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, fair dues. We move out to 13, which is where things start to become a little bit more complicated. Three players probably in, in the lineup for it. Duncan Taylor, um, Don Morris, Alex Lazowski. Well, I think Alex gets the nod, but not because he was a particularly brilliant outside centre, although he, he did it. But at the start of the season when Owen was out, that game against Bristol, and we're going to talk about individual performance of the year in a bit as well, quickly. But Alex would have been close to that for that game against Bristol, where he would, you know, the first game, you gone down to the team that should have won the championship the year before, and we dogged a result out, and it was down to Alex Lazowski that day. Yeah, um, that is one of the performances of the season. Um, and you look at, you know, not only that game that he, uh, you know, the couple of games that he played at fly half, obviously we had um, a fair portion of the season where um, either Alex Good or Manu Vunapola were playing fly half and Lazowski was at 13. He was still putting in, you know, match winning performances from there, taking, taking a lot of the kicks as well. But it, there was a, there was a side to his game that we, that we don't actually see when Owen Farrell's playing, which is quite, quite a weird thing to say, but Right back at the start of the season, we, we talk about Lazowski. He went off on loan when we went down to the championship. And I think we thought he was one of the few players that we could afford to lose. Um, but he came back from, from Montpellier, a fantastic player. And we saw a lot of that at the start of the season. 
um, and then into into January, February as well. I think, to be honest, he did tail off towards towards the end of the season. And now Elliot Daly ended up in the team ahead of him, which you know on paper seems seems fair enough. And it's interesting neither of us are really mentioning Daly in our in our team of the year, but he hasn't actually played a huge amount of rugby this year. Um, so I think it's it's fair enough. So yeah, you, you've got to credit the performances that Lazowski put in. Um, over the course of most of the season, particularly before Owen Farrell came back in, and he has ended the season as our highest point scorer. Yeah. He's, you know, scored. Yeah, it's interesting Farrell what I say about Elliot Daly. I do think that Elliot's foul looks more comfortable in the thirteen shirt than anywhere else yep. where he could potentially be playing. Um, but you know, he has also appeared on the wing, and he has also appeared at fullback. So. You know, again, this is Elliot's problem, isn't it? He's a jack of all trades and and gets tired with that brush. But yeah, I think Alex deserves that 13 spot. Well, one winger picks itself. You can't go against the lad who scored more tries than anybody else in the league, um, including two, four, four try games. Um, Max Malins gets one of the wingers' bursts. No problem there at all. The interesting thing is the other winger's birth, and I'm going to throw out a name who I think, again, has been there or thereabouts, has been bubbling under, waiting for his chance patiently. But when he's come in, he's looked pretty much on the ball, and that's Ratimi Shagan. I think Ratimi's done a great job this year when he's been called upon. Sean Maitland, you know what Sean Maitland's going to give you. Alex Lewington, again, a player... Unlucky with injuries this year, I think, but you know he'll give you what he wants. Ben Harris has had a couple of good moments when he's come in, particularly having his head taken off in um, <laughs> in Breve Ligar. And, um, but yeah, no, Ratimi Shegan, particularly for a small guy under the high ball, he's been imperious this year. Yeah, no, I mean that that is that is definitely fair enough. Um, the one argument against Max Malins that I have seen someone make is that he scored tries when he didn't really need to score tries. Um, and I do take that point. Those those two four-try games, they were well ahead, but that's because he scored four tries. That's why we were so far ahead. Yeah. But yeah, he is another one that the, the big matches this season, we haven't necessarily seen him at his absolute best. Um, so that is, you know, the minor criticism. I actually think Possibly, I'd rather see him at fifteen in the longer term future. Um, but yeah, Max Malins is in is in my team of the year. And then uh, you know, the exact debate that I think we've both had is is that you can pick out of Lewington, Shagan, and Maitland, um, all for different reasons worthy of being in that team of the year. And I've actually, you know, as good as Shagan has been when we've seen him, I think he is another person that I think could quite easily be one of the first names on our team sheet for team of the year next year. I think I've, I've just about been a little bit boring and have put Sean Maitland in mind just because of how reliable he's been defensively for us. I think it does go quite unnoticed. And myself and my dad, we sit in the, in the South stand at a game and it's a running joke with us about Sean Maitland being the slowest winger in the world. And you don't see him do much in attack. But he's always there defensively. He's always there with that cover tackle. He's always there under the high ball. And he's also always there knocking back a box kick and helping us retain possession. And he's doing that despite being someone that could have hung up his boots by now as well. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, we could have picked all 
four different wingers and all been quite happy really but yeah I've, I've gone Sean Maitland you've gone Rotimi Shagan neither of us have picked Alex Lewington which some people would probably scoff at as well but you know it, it's, it just shows the strength and depth that we've had there Absolutely well yeah I, and again you know I don't think either would let the side down and haven't let the side down when they do it Move to fullback, and really it is Goody. He's your fullback. Uh, he stepped up, played an awful lot of fly half this year as well. There is a suspicion that he may be tottering on the edge of a cliff edge. I mean, he is nearly thirty six now, and an age at which I retire from playing rugby, and I admire anybody who can play at thirty six years old and uh, and still perform at the highest level. Though there is a point when body cannot cash checks at the brain. And I think Alex is one of those players that's going to be, because he was so quick in the brain, that when he was 26, you can get away with that as a as a youngster because you're naturally fit. When you're 36 and your brain's saying, there's a gap and your body can't go through it, that's when you have a problem. And I think perhaps next year that, you know, Alex is going to be one of those players that maybe is stepping back and Max Malians moves into, into fullback more often maybe. Who knows? But this season, you can't argue with what Alex has given us. No, he's been fantastic. And, and yeah, to be honest, I think I think he's still a... Possibly even this season, he showed why he's ended up as a as a much better fullback than fly half, actually. I think there's a few games he had at fly half where he, he was slightly off the uh, off the radar a little bit. Um, but again, being quite harsh. But yeah, yeah he's, he's been a fantastic 15. I agree with you that his game time is, is going to be managed as he's, you know the wrong side of 30 by a, by a fair way. Um, and it would be interesting to see who he shares that 15 shirt with because Elliot Obertiumbo is um, is moving on. Um, it's a which, huge shame. I'm really upset about that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of mistakes in him. Um, I don't think he's developed as much as, as we'd have hoped. There was a lot of trust put in him in the season in the championship. But I, I don't feel that he's taken the opportunities this year and we don't know what's sort of gone on with contract discussions what he wants to do with the rest of his career what he was you know what he feels like doing I mean he's got a professional career in golf if he wants it by the sounds of it he's a scratch golfer and he does a lot of other stuff as well so you know we'll have to see what what Elliot's next move is um, but it's interesting it does it does sort of open the door for a lot of other players we don't look like we're going to bring in anyone um, as a fullback. So if Alex Goode's game time is being managed, is it Max Malins? Is it Sean Maitland even? Is it... Elliot Daly? Yeah, I mean, Elliot Daly, to be honest, he could end up being Daly and I'd be a little bit disappointed because I do see him as a better 13 than 15. Or, you know, is there room for um, for one of the young players stepping up? You know, Manu Vunapola is... I know he wants to play fly half, but he has shown that he's played at 15 quite a lot. Is he someone that's going to step up at 15 a little bit this year as well? We'll have to wait and see. But for now, Alex Goode is still brilliant and is still well-deserving of being on that team sheet. Absolutely. We're going to finish it off by giving out our awards. And the first awards I want to give out for is try of the season. Have you got one in mind, Matt, yourself? Well, I think there's only one, really. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping you're going to say Magic Theo's Mac Dunk. 
Oh, no, I was going to go for Alec Clary's. No, yeah, Theo McFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was just... And the, the fact that the, uh, the, the, uh, the Premiership try of the, of the week didn't even include it, you know. And it was, I can't remember who won it that week, but I think even they turned around and went, no, that was... I mean, and that's, that's exactly why I had Theo in my team of the year, is that X-factor... You know, you've gone for players that are giving you dependability and 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 solidity or whatever. For me, who was a player who who ran into people and stopped pretty quickly and just set the ball back, watching Magic, the Magic Theo, as I'm calling him, giving it the old basketball, the Magic Johnson, the Magic Theo, the Mac Dunk was just spectacular, wasn't it? I mean, that that's just out of this world. It was yeah for a for a second row slash back row to to throw that in that's that is just after a sixty meter run yeah yeah I mean (laughs) with the potential that his hamstring had gone about twenty meters from the line yeah I'm not not really sure how he managed that at all I mean to be honest yeah hands down try the season certainly in terms of skill the only try that comes close um, and because of the moment as opposed to it being a particularly skillful try it was Jackson Rays against Harlequins right back in October I think it was in yeah. the last minute to win us the game um you know it was a fairly normal try but just because of the occasion and the moment it was that's that's up there as well but yeah Theo McFarland's unreal try really that has to be it Next up, we go for individual performance of the year and the first time I written down was Max Maynard's because you can't go into two games and score four tries and and not be thought of as individual performance of the year. But I was actually thinking back and it was the Leicester game. And the week after I did the um, the podcast with Lawrence Delalio and we mentioned one player and I think actually, I did say Max Mays, but I'm going to change my mind. Nick Tompkins against Leicester in that match at Stonex with the wind blowing all over the shop. He was, he was just out of this world that day. I think. Yeah, that's a good chat. Now, actually, that's a, a performance that I think a lot of people would would not forget. Forget is the wrong word, but wouldn't have actually realised was 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 happening in a, in a way because it, yeah, it, it it was such a horrible day for a start. Well, it goes back to what I said about Marley Packer um, and Poppy Cleal and and. And alluding to Richard Richard Hill, and you know, I'll say it again, Richard is the greatest player to have ever played the game of rugby. Richie McCaw goes to bed wearing Richard Hill pajamas. I've always said this, and what Richard Hill did better than anybody else was the nefarious, the dirty, the the nasty, the gnarly, the donkey work. You know that allowed Neil Back and Lawrence Deladio to look so amazingly good scoring tries left front centre. Every team needs that workhorse. And Nick Tompkins, I okay, guess he's not back row, he's centre, but he does that. Every time he hits contact, he makes yards. Every time he initiates contact, he takes players back yards. He wins turnovers. He makes space. He runs intelligently. He, and that Leicester match was that 100%. Anybody can play lovely, expansive rugby on nice grounds in sunny weather and score tries left, right, and centre. It takes a real talent to, to shine in mud. 
and wind and rain and squally sleet or whatever. And Nick Tompkins did that for me that day. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think, and I think the other performance again it is another recent one, but Owen Farrell was in the semi-final against Harlequins. I think was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, um, considering he was being beaten up half the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, punch aside, it, <laughs> but you know, he he was outstanding on that day and several other matches this this season as well in in the running. I think um, uh, probably against um, Gloucester in the. Uh, in the Challenge Cup quarterfinal as well. I think he, he blew them away in that game, if I remember yeah. rightly. But um, yeah, there, there's been a lot. Of, it's a difficult one, this because there's a lot of good performances. Um, so I find it really hard to single something out. Um, and I think you can even go all the way back into... Um, oh, it's right. Lavosky against Bristol at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah exactly. Won. So, you know, there's there's performances that have, that have bookended the season and that have defined little runs of games that we've gone on even. So hard one to give out for me. So I'm going to defer straight to you. And it sounds like, yeah, that Nick Tompkins performance against Leicester is a, is a pretty fair shout to me. Well, I think that's the, the important thing to say is that we're giving that out. Although we know that Saracens, if nothing else, it's a team effort. And Nick Tompkins would be the first person, as Owen Farrell would be, as Mario Otoji would be, as, Alex, as all of the guys would say, without the team around and they aren't able to put those performances in. They put those performances in because of the team. But yeah, Nick Tomkins for me. Brilliant. We've said the player of the year, Ben Earl. We do need to just give one last award, which is for, I, I've called it breakout player. We might call it most improved. You've mentioned Theo McFarland. I think two other players have really stepped up this year, which is Andy Christie and Ratimi Shegan. They have really developed... And, you know, you said about Elliot Obertinby, you know, that he's moving off. He hasn't perhaps developed in the way he has. You look at other players who perhaps have developed but haven't quite developed quickly. You'd say Don Morris perhaps needs another little step forwards. Um, ben Harris needs another little step forward, maybe. But Theo, Andy and Rotimi have really, you know, that if at the start of next season you saw... Andy playing at eight and Theo at six and Rotimi at eleven, you'd go, well, yeah, fair enough. They deserve to be the start in in the starting eleven, fifteen even. Yeah, wrong ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, can't argue with either of those, any of those three as a as a breakout player. I mean, I, I almost struggle in a way to uh, to consider Rotimi Shegan as a breakout player because he sort of he keeps breaking out. He, he's sort of having these little run run of games and eventually. I think he is going to find himself as a as a first choice first choice winger. Um, I think yeah, Andy Christie for me is is our our breakout player of the season. Yeah. Personally, I think I've got to look look back a couple of years. Um, I mean, I, I always enjoy watching the um, the Prem Cup games. I always like to try and pick out those young players who look like they're going to come on and do something in the same way that Maravitoji burst onto the scene, championed. Up the uh, the cup win there, and then went on to do whatever it is that Maroitoji has done in his career. Um, but Andy Christie actually isn't someone that really we I don't think we really picked him up quite so much as some other players. And in fact, him and Sean Raphael sort of came through at the same time. And it was Raphael that was getting all the plaudits that was that was making the headlines with with his tackling with lots of other bits. And Andy Christie was just a little step behind him. But yeah, certainly this year. Um, and I think the championship season has worked for him as well. But yeah, th- this year he's, he's 
that we've had a lot of confidence in him and quite rightly so. And then again, being the captain in the Prem Cup this year says an awful lot about the faith that we're going to be putting in him over the next few years. And so, yeah, Christie for me is that breakout player of the season. On top of that, he's actually got a good three or four years on Theo McFarland and Ratimi Shegan as well. So who knows what we're going to see from him. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, he's made his international debut. He's on an international tour. Yeah, fair dues. But, Matt, we come to the end. We've done our bits and pieces. People may disagree with us. Feel free to tell us we're wrong on, on Facebook at the Fedscast or um, SSA, is that SASA underscore Fedscast. On, yeah, you'll find us on Twitter anyway. <laughs> tell us we've got it completely wrong. We don't care. Um, look, we're going to finish up now. Before we finish up, there's a few thanks we need to put out there. Obviously, to all of the people who've been guests, whether those be fans or players or coaches, Kelly's been on, Marley, Andy Christie's been on, Don Morris, all the guys who've been there. Also, Ollie from Saracen's office, who's been invaluable in, in getting us that support uh, and those players to give up their time and to speak to us. Um, it's, we know that they're really busy and that, you know, we're a, a small cog in a tiny, in a, in a very large machine. So we feel absolutely honoured that they allow us to do that and everything like that. But also, obviously, we need to say thank you to all of you who've listened in. I think we're not far off of 5,000 downloads for this year, are we, Matt? Something like that. Yeah, I must. Have, I should have checked today, really, shouldn't I? But yeah, we we're doing right. I mean, for a for a club that is perceived to be not particularly well supported, um, we don't do too badly. Um, if five thousand people have listened to us over the over the course of course of this year, it's a big step up for us as well from from our from our first year. Um, so yeah, looking forward to where we can go with it. And you know, everyone that's listening in, it's, you don't want to be listening to us too all the time. So just get in touch with us and get involved because we need more people to uh, to make it a lot of fun. And you never know, if we get more people involved, we might be able to do it more than once every two weeks as well. So it's... Yeah, uh, it's, been, it's been quite good fun doing it weekly or even t- twice weekly, you know. Uh, but it does take an awful lot of work to do it for just two of us. We have to do it around our work. I'm lucky I've got a very understanding boss who doesn't mind me taking lunch breaks at quarter to 10 in the morning <laughs> so I can interview Barney Packer. But yeah, look, it's been a fantastic uh, season. We've enjoyed ourselves. We've enjoyed talking to you guys. We're going to be back probably end of April, um, August, aren't we? Just before the, the first games kick off in September. We'll have a reaction to how badly Eddie Jones coaches in. I'm oh, sorry, no. I no. knew his resolution. Uh, I'm going to be really disappointed when he does finally bugger off aren't I yeah well look we uh so if you're listening to this it unless you're listening to it at six o'clock on Tuesday morning you probably had the draw for Champions Cup rugby so we've already you know done what we normally do and timed our podcasts really badly to have some news come out just after we release it so there's that coming up in the middle of July you get the fixtures up for for the league and the league season I think starts the 10th of September so we've got a few pre-season fixtures before that so yeah, I think it's right for us to have a bit of a summer break. But yeah, we'll be back end of end of August, start of September-ish, and we'll let you all know on social media and things when that's going ahead. But there's there's loads to look forward to as well. You know, there's the Women's World Cup. There's there's all sorts going on. So we're uh, we've got plenty to sink our teeth into next year. And yeah, who knows where we go? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Matt, for your time. It's been a pleasure as always. Fantastic 
247 million episodes or whatever it was this year. Um, and as I say, yeah, thank you to everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and uh, do get in touch with us. And uh, we'll see you again end of August. Have a good summer, folks. Ta-ra. This is the Fezcast. Thank you.